Hey kids, this week on Cinemodities, our episode starts with a betrayal of the worst kind. And surprisingly, it's Zack doing the betraying. So this week, direct all your hate messages to him, and let me get a break. Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodity, I am so happy to announce we are starting a new series. I'm going to hand it over to Zach to explain it in a little bit, but this might be a first on Cinemonides. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the lists. But we are discussing one of Rob's favorite films of all time, but it's a Zach's choice. Is that fair to say about this this week's topic, Zach? It's a uh, Zach's choice, and it's also a Zach's regret episode choice. (laughs) This movie is so good, I love it. And I think that's what most of the conversation today is going to be about, about why Zach has uh, grown some disdain or distaste for this movie. That's the impression I'm getting with our previous discussions about it. But man, I love it. As I told Zach earlier, I watched the ultimate cut of this film twice in preparation for this. That is seven hours of my time, seven hours, ten minutes of my time, <laughs> and and even more. I've, I've seen this movie so many times. This is up there uh, with another film that we haven't talked about, but I hope we will one day. Donnie Darko, one of my favorite films of all time. Revolver, the Guy Ritchie movie, and Across the Universe, which is something I've come to love. But those are all things for a different episode when we discuss my love of those films. But I'm glad I got it out of the way. We are discussing Watchmen, the Zack Snyder film. So, Zach, please, now that I've given my glorious review of Watchmen, what is this series and, and how did it come about? Like, why, why is this something you wanted to talk about? folks before we get into that i want to make sure you all picked up on the sound that was playing during this episode we're going to try to emulate hack snyder and throughout this movie we're going to have random just clips of music playing that have no relevance to the plot whatsoever we're going to have numerous needle drops of random 70s and 80s era pop music Hello, we're going to have darkness in- my old friend <laughs> see there we go that's the first one but be prepared for those random needle, needle drops out of nowhere uh, but no, what Rob was saying, we are. Or this is our failed blockbuster series. This entire month is his act's choice. This topic is probably the foundation as to why I wanted to do Cinematics as a podcast. When I pitched Rob on the idea of doing cinematic oddies, him, he automatically thought like, oh, we're going to talk about weird crap. And by weird crap, animal collective stuff. And <laughs> well, I thought of Cinematics, I thought about looking at 
popular films or blockbuster films under the lens of what went wrong, why didn't they click with the public, or I know there's a podcast with this name, but how did this get made? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to failed blockbusters, Watchmen isn't like the first one on that list. When people think of failed blockbusters, they think of like stuff like Cutthroat Island, Westworld. I'm not Westworld, um, Waterworld, some world. There's a world that's ah, out there. Waterworld, um, yeah, with Costner, yeah, right? Yeah, movies that sat there like practically bankrupted someone in the process. <laughs> and I don't think Watchmen's one of those, but it's certainly one of those projects that if you looked at the numbers, uh, it's <laughs> it, was, it was a very expensive film and it did not make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I think it grossed around like $180 million worldwide. On like a hundred and thirty million dollar budget, so someone definitely lost a lot of money somewhere. Uh, definitely when it came to theatrical grosses, but I uh, know the reason why we're talking about Watchmen, why I said it was a regret in choosing it, was um, as any sort of uh, the running joke on this podcast is that chances are if we've picked a topic or if it's a Zach's choice, there's an anniversary worked into it somehow. As Rob <laughs> knows, I usually have a little roulette wheel, and uh, when I choose a movie <laughs> or I have to choose between them, it's like, okay, do I do X or Y? If, if one of those has an anniversary tied to it, it's like, well, I guess we're doing this. You know, I don't really want to talk about it. And uh, But no, Rob, we are talking about Watchmen two days before its 10th anniversary. Wow. See, I, I never look into this shit. Zach does. I'm glad he does. But that's awesome. I, I'm I'm very happy uh, that we get to discuss this movie because I love it so much. And also because we are that close to a 10-year anniversary. That's great. Rob, we're getting old. I mean, okay, don't don't remind us of that. <laughs> uh, but no, this is uh, give a little bit of context to this. Um, I can still remember like this was like one of those things where Rob and I it was our junior year of high school when this came out. Yep. And in our small group of friends, this was something that kind of hit our circle like a ton of bricks. We were all basically, oh god, we were mesmerized by this for like a solid yeah. like what month? Like, like yeah, two weeks. A- Two weeks before the movie came out and two weeks afterwards, our little circle of friends was just like this. Our imaginations were captured with this film. Yeah. Like, like imagine the male equivalent of Twilight Fever. That's kind (laughs) of what we were acting like, because like all we were doing is going around and much like we're going to do this episode, just making all these sort of just like quips and quotes from this film. Um, Moloch. (laughs) <laughs> I was a hero, god damn it Like that was just a running gag That that was just said numerous times Much like the Merman clip You're going to be hearing the I was a hero, god damn it clip so, Much like the film itself You're going to hear it numerous times <laughs> I was a hero, god damn it <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, I should have said it before When we were talking about aging But a live human body and a dead human body Have the same number of particles Structurally there is no difference <laughs> See, there's another one, folks. It's this episode. That's one thing I gotta say about this movie. There are a lot of uh, quotable lines in this. You can just th- much like yeah, uh, because Hacks it's so is- it's such an amazing piece of literature as well. The original graphic novel, which we're gonna have to talk about too. Yes, yes. There's the, this is gonna be a very dense episode. Uh, hopefully, this episode. Oh God, this is gonna be like a four hour long episode. Should I, I should I start? Should I just watch the ultimate cut again? We can hit that three and a half hour mark. <laughs> no, I cannot. Okay, I okay. Um, I, I cannot stand this movie. Um, I, really... I know, I know, I've been, that's what I said, I, that's the impression I've been getting from you, um, Zach and I saw this together, as I think we mentioned, maybe a little bit about the history, we did not see this on opening day, it's the only time I've seen Zach, like, jonesing, like, he was shaking and sweating profusely, because we, I was like, no, we gotta see it with my dad on the Saturday after it comes out, and he was definitely, like, you know, uh, maligned by this. <laughs> All right, 
Folks, I'm going to do a first on Cinemodies, and then Rob does not know where I'm going with this. This is I don't. No, this is going to be fun. Uh, this is good, folks. You're going to see a friendship challenged in real uh-uh. time. This is uh-uh. this is not an act, and Rob does not know where I'm going with this. This is not staged. Rob, I saw Watchmen opening day with Sal. Did you really? Yes, I did. And you never told me till I... now. <laughs> see, folks, you you're seeing a. French strip contort and strain. Oh my. <laughs> See, there's a very real possibility this is the last episode of Cinematis. I am going to burn this bridge and this is the last episode ever. I think I think we're gonna splinter into two separate <laughs> podcasts where I'm gonna be like the Cinna and you're gonna be the Modities. <laughs> well, I figure you get the Cinematis and I get the late night movies. Okay, okay. It's gonna be what it's like that Puma Adidas thing, or there's some there's some con- feud between shoemakers or something like that. Zach, I am I am butthurt by this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I've been, it's funny, uh I guess the context was that yes, Rob is correct that I, obviously he knows my compulsion of having to see something the first day that like goes back to like my very early childhood years that I have to see something the first day or else I just I do break out into hives. <laughs> and when this cause I was real like I remember I bought the Watchmen comic. I bought like all these posters. Like I rode that hype train hard, just like Rob did back in 2009. Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, I can't see it until Saturday. I'm like, nope, can't wait. And it's like, <laughs> and I remember going to Sal, and this became a joke. This is actually, I, I'm surprised. I don't know if Rob remembers this or not. Was that I went to go again? I saw this with Sal, as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. And I basically told Sal, Sal, you can't tell Rob because I'm supposed to be seeing it tomorrow with him. And I don't know what he'll do if he finds out I saw it the day before. And he's like, okay. I'm like, Sal, you promise? Yeah, yeah, sure. And we're in the theater, and John Sue showed up, another one of this circle. And I'm yep. like, oh, crap. And John Sue saw us, and he's like, oh, hey, can I sit with you? And I'm like, well, there goes keeping this from Rob. And so I lean <laughs> over to John Sue, and I'm like, John Sue, can you please not like not tell anybody like I was here? You can say you saw Sal. Just don't say I was here. And he's like, cool, whatever. Next day, Rob and I see the movie. Um Went fine from I remember kind of an uneventful movie going experience in the sense that nothing horrible happened. Yeah. And um, then the very ne- and I think it was Monday we were all back at school like it was a conversation point and that Tuesday morning because what would happen in high school I know there's a lot of backstory. Um, Rod's mother was <laughs> was is a teacher and I go see him in his mother's classroom we walk around the school because our high school is basically like a four hundred thousand square miles. Oh, God, so we basically could yeah. do laps around the school. We got maybe half a lap through the school. It was ready time to uh, begin classes. And Rob's like, oh, I heard from Matt and Tim that Sal said he saw Watchmen with you. And I'm like, Sal's a filthy liar. I, Sal came over my house Friday and we watched the motion comic. But there's no way I saw it opening day with Sal. And, that, and the very next time I saw Sal, I said, Sal, what the hell did you do? What? Did you tell someone I saw it with you? And he's like, no. I'm like, Sal, I know it got back to me from someone else but you. And I'm like, God damn it, Sal, you're going to ruin this. And you, I'm not sure if Rob remembers this, but Rob, you brought it up a couple more times. You're like, Sal's really telling people that he saw it with you Friday. And I'm like, well, he's a liar, isn't he? <laughs> So, uh, so this is to be, to be honest, I definitely do not remember this. I, I very vividly remember seeing this with you, 
and my father way back when, but I, I do not remember that backlash. But I believe oh, you. It was, I believe it, it was pronounced. It was pronounced. Like I was sweating like a lot. Like that's where I think maybe the hives came from and the the thing that you always say I do it was from that. I was nervous that Sal was gonna blow okay. this on me. And okay. the weird in the and this is a little bit of and we'll get to this story when we talk about our movie going experiences in a month or so. Was that when Rob wanted to see Alice in Wonderland with Johnny Depp? Um, or actually before that, Sal wanted to see that with me. And that's like a, what, like a year later. Like, yeah, it's like a year later almost to the date. Um, Sal's like, I want to see Alice in Wonderland with you. And I'm like, F that. That movie looks horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not paying to see Alice in Wonderland. And then like Rob's like, I want to go see it. And my mom will pay for your ticket. And I'm like, game on. Uh, my favorite flavor is I free. do remember that, yes. <laughs> I remember somehow word got back to Sal. He was furious. He's like, you said you didn't want to see that. And I'm like, I didn't want to see it. And I regret seeing it. Um, this is everything <laughs> I thought it was going to be, maybe even worse. Uh, but no, so uh, a little bit of context there. So no, I... For all intents and purposes, this is this is something new, folks. We broke new ground on the podcast. Oh, you yeah. actually... Yeah, Rob didn't know this. It wasn't a skit. Nope. No, this was not a skit. Uh, Zach, I, I think I should say I forgive you. Thank you. I've, I've been sweating about this for a decade. Every single time I wear, wear a shirt and I sweat through it, it's because of this. You've, well, Zach, you've solved my perspiration. You. This uh, Cinemodities will keep going. Uh, it'll take something much pettier to break us apart, I feel. Um, <laughs> True Detective no. Season 2 is better than Season 1. Well, okay, yes, that will tear us <laughs> apart. And we have a season three to talk about now. Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, it doesn't stop. So, but no, I forgive you, Zach. I, I am butthurt by this, but, you know, I'll get over it. And I think it's okay because I still love this movie. Uh, and I know that we're going to discuss why I love, you hate, that type of stuff. But I'm glad that we got to see it together. And to be fair, the reason we didn't see opening day is because back when Zach and I lived near each other, my dad was still working, and so he couldn't see it that Friday. So, you know, I, I, we helped my dad out, okay? <laughs> if my dad's listening to this, you know, maybe he remembers it, maybe he doesn't. But it was more of my dad than my fault. So I, I get what you're saying, you know? Okay. I, I have to – okay, there's a little bit more context to this movie with me, with Sal. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> there, there, was, there was karma, folks. I saw the movie ahead of time with Rob, and I paid the karma price beforehand. Mm. Um, as, as we talked about numerous times with Sal in this podcast and his taste in music of just hearing sounds, and uh, yes. to call Sal an eccentric human being would be kind. Um, when we went to go see this, Sal had really no context for it. I don't think he read it. He didn't know much about it. I think he saw part of the motion comic. I think I showed him parts of it. Okay. But nothing really like serious from it. So we sit in the movie theater. I was like, an, I was pumped beyond belief. Um, was really looking forward to this. I remember the first. I can actually remember the first time I ever heard about Watchmen was uh, sitting in the theater for The Dark Knight the previous mm -hmm. summer and seeing the Watchmen trailer in front of it. Okay. And seeing not because I didn't know what Watchmen was. And I saw Night Owl. I remember Sal and I joking because we saw Dark Knight together. He's like, "Oh look, Batman's in the trailer before Batman." <laughs> and that was my first introduction to Watchmen I'm like oh this looks neat Don't know what it is but it looks neat And yeah. then it's obviously the film got closer Like the marketing ramp up really like between like posters um, uh, Toys All that mm -hmm. sort of stuff The soundtrack and I remember, like, I got. I remember I bought the the the, the graphic novel ahead of time, yeah. like in the weeks prior. I remember reading it during physics class because I had a physics teacher that I didn't like to teach. <laughs> he didn't care. I'm literally sitting in the front in the front row reading the Watchmen comic. He's like, whatever. And I remember getting so hyped for it. And so I told Sal, I'm like, Sal, just be cool with this movie beyond the beyond the keeping it from Rob stuff. 
And um, and Rob's going to believe this. There's not going to be a doubt in Rob's mind. Was that um, how much? Rob, do you know how long the theatrical cut of this film is? The theatrical cut, I think, is a solid one hour fifty minutes. That is a lie, folks. That is a lie. That's not. That's not true. No, it's like two hours and forty five minutes. Is it really? Yeah, theatrical cuts like over two and a half hours long. Damn. My bad, everybody. I, I literally have not watched the theatrical cut since seeing it in the theater. <laughs> All right. I, I, I teed that one up for Rob, and he swung and he missed. But you know I what? Did. Uh, I did. All right. Do, um, do you forgive me, Zach? Are we even? <laughs> yes. Rob, you know what? Because with the power of editing, we're going to let you go back in time, and we're going to uh, queue you up for that again, and we're going to ask you how long the runtime of the movie is. <laughs> Rob, how long is the theatrical cut of Watchmen? It is two hours and forty-two minutes long. <laughs> Correct. And you know what? And you know what Sal did for that two hours and forty-two minutes? Uh, laugh. All, all he did was laugh throughout the entire film. Damn! What is there to I, laugh at? <laughs> I ask myself that very question. Much like Avengers: Infinity War, I ask myself that very question every time I watch the movie. Um, and I, it wasn't just like he laughed. Um, the very beginning of the film, and this is before we break down, just to highlight the experience. And this is how I knew it was going to be bad. The first what five minutes of the film is the death of the comedian, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The whole battle scene, or the fight scene. Yeah. Yes. He laughed throughout that entire portion. I mean, like, I mean, just hysterically laughed. Through the that he left for the entire film, but he found that specifically hilarious. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> I know, and, and beyond Rob, I'm asking our audience: if you've seen Watchmen 2009 and you remember the very beginning with the comedian and spoiler alert, Adrian Veidt fighting, mm-hmm. please tell me what you find absolutely hilarious about that sequence, or what yes. is there to be funny? Because to this day, as I rewatch this a decade later, I could not find what anyone would find funny about that scene. Yeah, I mean the music, everything. It's 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 anything but funny. <laughs> but apparently, the apparently this was a comedy. I don't know how, but to Sal, this was a comedy. But I don't want to dwell on him too long. But to let Rob know, I saw it opening day. Um, he made it a miserable theater going experience to the point where I was visibly pissed off when I came out of the theater. Again, okay. my, my mother took us to see us because we were both we were under the age at the time, but. I was so I was so angry. Like I would, all I did was complain about the movie afterwards. Like this was like, oh god. Um, I can't think of an example. Like this was like Avengers Infinity War level of complaining. Like, I was like, like afterwards we went to some like deli to get like dinner, and I was just like complaining about how bad the movie was. Like I was just like visibly upset about the entire thing. Okay. And I was, like, even my mother was defending the movie. She's like, the movie wasn't that bad. And I'm like, no, this movie was a mess. They screwed this up. They screwed that up. This isn't what it was supposed to be. And so I, so thank God for Rob and his father the very next day. Because I saw it. Yeah, I, got, I literally got a mulligan, much like how Rob got when it came to the runtime of the theatrical cut. See, Rob, there's, <laughs> yeah. there was a tie-in for that. And I got a do-over for Rob, with Rob. And I saw it the second time. And I genuinely loved it that second time. Because... Uh, spoiler alert, Rob did not laugh at every scene of the movie. No, I was enthralled by this movie. I remember that very specifically. Like Seeing this in theaters with you and my father, I was definitely like 100% on board. Like That was a true movie-going experience. Yeah, like that's uh yeah the second the second time I really don't have any memories of because compared to the first one, uh, how can it compare? But uh, yeah, well I don't like, know I don't know. Do you remember my dad saying I don't know? And when we asked him after the movie, we said, did you like it? And my dad was like, I don't know. 
That sounds like something your father would say to most movies if he if he's asked if he likes it or he doesn't. I feel like that's something that would just be like a I don't know. I, I can picture him I can picture him saying that like Elysium. <laughs> uh, uh, I know he liked Man of Steel right out of the gate. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, he he loves that, you know, the the hardcore action superhero stuff. So, you know, I think I think the thing for Watchmen that turned him off was how political it was. And even though he had read the graphic novel and he knew what he was going into, I think there wasn't as much action uh, to keep him engaged. Yeah, I could see that. I'm butthurt, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I stunned him, folks. I've stunned him. In the, I got Rob to show up for the first time in the history of this podcast. Yes. I mean, this is, you know, this is, I, I, I think uh, if I had, if I had known this, this podcast never would have started. <laughs> <laughs> no, all kidding aside, I'm, I'm glad you told me, Zach. Now I'm thinking of all the other lies you've been keeping from me and that I've been keeping from you. Uh-oh. And, uh, it should just be a new segment on the, on the podcast. We, we, we unlie to each other. <laughs> Oh man! Yes. Okay. That was great. That was some great backstory on Watchmen. Is All there right, anything else you had? Is there anything else uh, that uh, the backstory that you wanted to detail? Because I think you hit nearly all of it. The only other thing I have to say is that I remember I was in college. Well, again, the Lord knows Rob was probably finishing his third doctorate by this time, but it was. March 6, 2014, and I sent Rob like back when we could really contact Rob through Twitter. I sent him like a tweet saying like five years since Watchmen and, and he's like yeah and <laughs> or something like that where it's like like oh it's not as good as the 10 year anniversary or something like again if I if I could go find it I haven't been on Twitter in fucking like 10 years <laughs> yeah something like that but no so like yeah that's kind of the entire history with Watchmen so I saw it was kind of one of those things where like we saw it we watched it it was fun for a couple of months Mm-hmm. And we kind of, like, not, I, I know Rob obviously uh, held a torch for this movie, but at least for me, it was kind of like, okay, it was one of those, it was one of my classic movie obsessions that I'm known to be having. Yep. To this day, I still have. <laughs> and I kind of just moved on after that. It was kind of like, oh, it was neat, cool. I saw it in theaters three times. Really, uh, and that was it. Bought the Blu-ray, bought the DVD because I hate the, the, the ultimate, what's, what's, okay, there's three cuts of this film. Yep. There's the theatrical there's the miserable cut, and then there's the I'm going to slit my wrist cut, which is the one that you like the most. <laughs> the ultimate cut. <laughs> What's the one in the middle called? I think that's just the director's cut. Oh, okay. Okay, so I own both the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Okay. And you can only get the theatrical cut from the DVD. I remember mm-hmm. seeing the ultimate cut and being like, this is stupid. I like – because he also – change the editing like there's scenes there edited differently in the director's yep. cut versus the theatrical cut and i'm like this is stupid i like the theatrical cut how it's how it's edited um little did i know that uh, there's no cut of this movie that i like and <laughs> in retrospect i'm sorry now um but yeah so i rewatched. i've only seen the ultimate cut i think once or maybe twice i've seen the theatrical cut the most and that's why i watched okay. this viewing okay and like i mentioned earlier i watched the ultimate cut 
twice. <laughs> he watched I slit my wrist cut twice. Uh, yeah, but it, it it is like honestly, the ultimate cut feels like a two hour movie to me. It goes by so fast. This is so damn awesome. <laughs> and funny that the two hour and forty two cut feels like a four hour movie to me. <laughs> oh jeez, oh jeez. This is okay. Gonna, this, we're split, folks. This is a very early split episode. Yes, yes, this is a very clear split. But I think that, like we said earlier, that's what I want to get into. What happened? Why the hate for this movie, Zach? Uh, there's something about this film that just clicks for me perfectly on every single level. Like, you know, we talked about the music. Zach talked about the music. I love the music. I love the integration of, you know, the graphic novel elements. And I think the changes they made for a theatrical version are appropriate. Um, it's, it's just great. I don't know. And like Zach said, I've kind of held the torch for this film. This is something that I remember, you know, sharing with people in college and, in, in, you know, all my different places. Just, I, I feel that I need to show this, I guess, spoiler alert, this is a late night movie, but, but I got to know Zach, why, why the hate for it now? What happened between you and this movie? Uh, first and foremost, Hack Snyder, like Hack Snyder is like firm. I used to joke that he's made, he made one and a half good movies. Hmm. And or he's made one and a half good movies, and now I can definitively say now it's one good movie. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, see, I'm I'm with you there. I definitely don't like where Zack Snyder has gone or what he's done, and I think I felt that first and foremost because I when I saw Sucker Punch because I loved Watchmen, I saw Sucker Punch and I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> um, uh, that's 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 another fun movie. Yeah, but you know, I okay. So I I understand what you're saying there, and I'm with you. But I can still kind of separate the the art from the artist in this. Oh in no, this. I'm not. Well, okay, okay. I'm being hyperbolic for the sake of being hyperbolic. Sure. Uh, I am. I am being a very uh, stark foil to Rob here. No, like <laughs> I like the problem with this. Not the problem. It's it's a well made movie. Like I, I for this episode because like as I rewatched this sometime last week, I'm like, like I said, it felt like a six hour long movie. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like, and yet I was watching. I haven't read the graphic novel in over in over a decade. Okay. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, there's not enough time. Like w this movie is, it's it's a weird sort of paradox. It's so quickly paced, yet feels so much longer than it actually is. <laughs> like nothing has a chance to ever just settle. What like again, the the, the graphic novel is very dense. Oh yeah. No one's ever going to argue that. And I know this it's, This film was always coined as, I'm sorry, the, the source material was coined as unfilmable. Yeah, and yeah. Back during 2009, I never understood what that meant. I'm like, oh, Zack Snyder made a great movie out of it. And now with like 10 years of understanding movies, how things are supposed to be like kind of just like, oh God, how you, uh, oh my Lord, uh, pace out a movie, how you let certain plot threads kind of just savor, you savor them a little bit, you let them mm -hmm. kind of hang in the air. And it's just, this movie just, it's like, uh, it's like check, checklist the movie it's like uh actually i know one of the complaints with this movie is oh it's um faithful to the source material to a fault and most people are like oh how's that a bad thing it's not a bad thing it's it's again they could always it's always easy to screw something up by adapting it and i do mm -hmm. give hack snyder credit or whoever gave him money <laughs> to, to letting him do this but this movie is so consumed with being a checklist it forgets that it has to be entertaining because as I'm watching this, it's like, okay, you have the comedian stuff. Okay, comedian. Uh, quick, him and Adrian uh, Viter fighting. Great sequence. Never mind, I can't see half of what's going on because it's it's not lit properly. Um, you have that. Then next thing we know, we have the two detectives in, in, in his apartment. And it's like, oh, then we cut back to Rorschach. And I'm like, well, 
everything that's said in the detective sequence is in the Rorschach, Rorschach's journal. Everything that we see him doing by, he shoots his little grapple gun up, he goes through and he's inspecting, he sees all the pictures. Everything that's in that two-minute long sequence, the two detectives, it's, it's superfluous. It's everything that Rorschach does. It's like, wh- why do we need that? It's like, cut that out. Like, but again, it's, it's being faithful. But if it's not helping the film, it's not being faithful. It's a detriment to the, to the film. Okay. And there's so many things like that. And then, like, even we get to the, um, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to break it down scene by scene, which I always say we end up doing it. But, like, even, like, the sequence for the comedian's funeral, we see Adrian Veidt, Dr. Manhattan, and, and uh, Dan Dryberg's. Uh, flashbacks of their interactions mm-hmm. with the comedian And we see all those and It feels like the same thing that happened In Batman v Superman Where we when Wonder Woman's clicking on her emails And we see the Flash sequence uh, The Aquaman okay. sequence The Cyborg sequence It's just like we're not doing this Because it helps the story We're doing it because we have to Because someone's putting on a checklist for us And as time goes on with Hack Snyder And I know there's like then the whole controversy With him with Justice League and, and the, the DC movies Mm -hmm. and everyone's like oh how does this guy keep getting hired and it's clear why he does what the studio tells him to do like the studio gives the studio gives him notes and says we want these things they give him a checklist and he's very good at saying okay I'm going to to check everything off and that's why after the the disaster that was Batman v Superman they let him continue with Justice League because he was basically um, their muse. He was. Mm-hmm. He. He. I don't think he has an artistic vision, except for here and there. Maybe in a broad scope, he has an artistic vision. But when it comes to the details, he doesn't. He does what he's told, which is why studios love. Again, it's the Brett Ratner thing. It's the J.J. Abrams. They yep. love it when they have a, a shell that will do what they're told. They do not want someone uh, giving any sort of resistance. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I call him Hack Snyder. Is that um, Sucker Punch is the clearest example of of Hack Snyder without any sort of collar on. On him sure and you get an incomprehensible Mess for an hour and a half <laughs> uh, Sucker Punch is definitely A cinematic there's no arguing that As someone who spent $20 to see An IMAX can uh, uh, Can claim <laughs> uh, But no I, I think that's my issue with this film Is that like oh it's faithful But it's faithful solely for being Faithful it's not being faithful in order to To adapt The, the, the graphic novel mm-hmm. It's being faithful just because Okay this is going to be a selling point it's going to be, this is the most faithful film ever made. It feels like a Jodorowsky, an Alejandro Jodorowsky. It's like, this is, I can very easily imagine him saying, this is going to be the most faithful adaptation of comic movies ever. It's like, that's, <laughs> that, that's what I could imagine the executives and the producers saying to this. Okay. And I think that's my, because no, it's, it's a competently well-made film. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no scene showing. Uh, again, this is I, in preparation for this. I deliberately went and listened to and watched a bunch of things that were pro this film to give myself a mm-hmm. little bit of balance, so I wouldn't because cra- it's not bad. I want to make it obvious; it's not a bad movie. Um, it's it's a perfect example of biting off more than you can chew. There's so much there, um, like even like with the four hour cut with the death of Hollis Mason and Tales from the Black Freighter. Yep, it's like, like I, I remember watching the Hollis Mason death, and I'm like. You're watching an old man be beat to death with a trophy. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, God, that's just like, who wants to watch that? It's like, you're only putting this in the film. I know, well, the theatrical versus director's cut. You're only putting this in the movie so you can say you put it in the movie. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, so, like, if you're going to cut that scene out of the movie for the theatrical cut, well, why did you cut out the, 
there's probably some other scene that was cut out of the fight. I, I can't. There's a couple of things I remember them that were missing that I was kind of surprised at. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like it's, it's, I'm not one of those people that get mad at the fact there was no giant squid at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, that, that doesn't bother me. It's like okay, I, I, again, it's this movie doesn't work for me. Like as I was rewatching it, I was kind of thinking about like again my history with this, and I'm like, if it weren't for the fact that we were discussing this for a podcast. I don't think I, I don't, th- I honestly can say, I don't think I'll ever watch this again. There's, there's okay. nothing, I guess, it, no, it's like, okay, I'll let Rob talk. Go ahead, Rob, talk. No, uh, you make some great points. I think, uh, you know, you are looking at this uh, and uh, you, you have the capability to look at this at a, at a grander level than I think I can. And, but you bring up a good point of the faithfulness. And I think that's part of the reason I really enjoy it is because I love the original graphic novel and I feel like this is it brought to life in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so, but I understand, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, it's, it's not, I think neither of us are approaching this as, you know, we're going to sway the other one to hate it or love it type of thing. But I think a lot of those reasons that you see as negatives or have, have pitched as negatives, I'm a little more positive about. And that, that, uh, I'm okay with it, you know, cause I, I would watch this movie again and again and again. And, you know, hell, I might even just watch this again instead of Gods of Egypt tonight. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm, I, I won't. If anybody, this is not like a um, Jurassic World where like I, I get angry that people like this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like that at all. No, there, there's substance here. But my biggest concern is uh, it's like, it, God, how, how, how many pages is the graphic novel? Do we know? Oh, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's, it's, it's fairly thick. It's a lengthy one. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. It's, it's dense. And it's the whole idea like you're never going to be able to do in, in, a, in a conventionally timed movie, which is three hours or less. Mm-hmm. So let's even be kinder. Like Titanic was three, three hour, three and a quarter hours long. Um, you're not going to be able to give Watchmen a faithful cinematic adaptation in three hours. You're, you're just not. Yeah. So yeah. to sit there, do all these things, they're just again, checklist moments. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it's all for naught. It's like, you're, you're only doing this. You're, you're going to be, um, Okay. You're going to be cherry picking what you want to do at the end of the day. It's no matter how hard you try, you're going to be cherry picking. Yeah. So if you're going to cherry pick, why not focus on a couple things? Like I would love this movie. I think a little bit more if we focused solely on um, Night Owl, Rorschach, and what's her name, Silk Spectre too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if you just, you pick those three characters and you focus, like you can still have your comedian, your Doctor Manhattan, and Adrian Veidt off in the distance. But I think it would make it a lot better if you just focused on those three characters. Mm-hmm. And I know I was reading some stuff about the development hell of this of this project for years, and they were going to do stuff like, oh, they're going to make it during the Afghanistan War instead of uh, the Cold War. Okay. They were going to do stuff like, oh, they're time travelers going back or going into the future and going into the past. Like, Ooh. don't get me wrong, that that's even that, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> than, than, than what this film is, but uh, it's just the whole idea. Like, and you do get that to a certain degree because there is not as much a focus on the comedian and uh, Adrian Veidt. As there is on the other characters. Mm-hmm. And and there's a whole other layer of this too. Is also the performances of this film. For a film that I don't like. There's a lot to chew on. And yeah. that's why I mean. like you can, like, I've always talked about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast before. But there's this thing that drives me nuts about people. Because I've gone back and I've read. In the last couple of days. I've re-listened to our Men, Women, and Children episode. Okay. And, like, and some of our and some of our more like Trapped in the Closet. Some of our more weird episodes. Or when we have weird opinions on things. And I think what it comes down to is it's the idea that you can like something and you and know it's not good. Mm-hmm. You can also say something's good and not like it. 
it's it, and I know that's kind of oh, a yeah, foreign yeah. concept to a lot of people saying like, oh, this is a very good X. I don't like it though. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it is. Like I, I know this film had a rather split critical consensus. I think it hovers around like a sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, that drives me nuts with a small rant about Rotten Tomatoes. I hate the fact that Rotten Tomatoes lets reviews from a decade later affect the uh, the rating. Ah, uh, okay. That drives I didn't know me that. nuts. The most pronounced example of that was the Phantom Menace, because the Phantom Menace had like a seventy five percent like. A Rotten Tomato score. Mm-hmm. Then when it got re-released in 3D in 2012, it like went down like 20. percent Oh jeez. And I'm like, that's that's not fair. You you can't sit there and let uh, evaluations later affects you either lock it in mm-hmm. or you basically get rid of having a, a critical consensus. Yeah. It's it's you can't do that. Uh, but no, because and that's what I mean by Rotten Tomato score. It fluctuates around the 60s. Uh, but yeah, like I said, no, I, I I do not hold anything against anyone for liking this movie. It's it's just a perfect example of biting off more than it can chew. Okay, and that, you know that is fair because I, I understand that point where you know there is so much density to the graphic novel and there's so many layers to the story and and how the characters interact that it is kind of that that checklist type of of mentality. You know, because I would have loved to see stuff about, you know, like how Rorschach got his mask, which is in the graphic novel, but isn't in the movie. Because that relates to Dr. Manhattan and things like that. And and that would have been awesome. And I think I'm kind of at a school of thought where, you know, they did, they did a, I do feel that this is representative of the graphic novel. Like we said, you know, you said the idea of being true to its source material to a fault. I could, I understand that, but I think this is, like I said before, one of the reasons I really enjoy it is because it, it does feel like a good representation. You also brought up the performances, and that is something I definitely wanted to talk about because they're great in this movie. From everything, you know, Jack Earl Haley, which is, is Rorschach, is kind of where I first found out about him, to Billy Crudup, you know, being Dr. Manhattan and and loving him already from Big Fish. Like, the performances are fantastic in this movie. I think this is one of the few things that everybody who sees this movie can agree upon. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley's Rorschach is is an Oscar caliber performance. Yes, that that is a. Uh, I don't think anyone will disagree with that. I feel bad for whoever this uh, Damon Lindelof Watchmen. I feel bad whoever gets cast in that role because you, you're not going to top Jackie Earl Haley. It's one of those yep. ones where you know what you're you're never going to top it. You can never outdo that performance. It's, it is an Oscar caliber performance in a film that doesn't deserve it. What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I'd say the Rorschach performance probably elevates the film more than it deserves. Okay. I remember at the time a lot of people complained about the performances, and I can see I can see a lot more of that now. Malin Ackerman as uh, Silk Spectre too. Mm-hmm. I she's fine. I, I think I think it's a weird thing where it's funny. I got into trouble a couple, I, I got almost two years ago now for making the the <laughs> reference on the Star Wars podcast about like Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker and George Lucas's dialogue for him, being like, "Oh, the dialogue isn't bad. It's just how a twenty year old in love talks." And everyone's like, "That's not that's not true." George Lucas is a crappy screenwriter, <laughs> and I get I get that vibe from Malin Ackerman's performance here. Or maybe that's just what I'm deluding myself into thinking, or I'm like, oh, it's not a bad performance. It's just how a woman that's been like in a 
a solitary relationship with a blue god man would would be behaving. It's like it's, it's not her performance. It's not the that and I kind of take a step back and be like, Hack Snyder doesn't think that way, and I don't think Malin Ackerman does either. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, that's probably me projecting my thoughts onto the onto the film. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a comedian. Thinking back now, he does he's in it probably the least out of everybody. I'd say. Yeah, like he, yeah. He, he does a lot with what little he's given of screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember back in 2009, I loved uh, Dr. Manhattan. Now I watch that performance, and it's, a, it's, a, it's such a goofy, goofy, stoic performance. It's so over-the-top stoic. Yeah. And, and it also comes and goes in how, um, how he um, does his deliveries, which is weird. I I like I don't exactly get like I know there's one scene where he sh- like even like the okay the the comedian shooting the pregnant woman scene mm-hmm. which I remember sitting in the theater being like there's no way because that was one of the high well okay how do I say this without coming across as a weirdo um, I I remember when that I remember reading Zach, that the whole the hole is dug we're weirdos everybody knows it just go for it <laughs> yeah but as Rob always likes to joke I'm always afraid of the fact that if I ever run for political office in twenty to thirty years this podcast is gave me that giant skeleton in my closet. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading that the graphic novel being like, well, there's definitely like it's kind of crossing it off my mental list. Like that's not gonna be in the movie. Yeah. I remember sitting in the theater being like, Oh my god, they're actually gonna do it. Like I remember seeing like seeing seeing her walk in the pregnant Vietnamese woman, and I'm like, Oh my god, they're they're not gonna do it, are they? And he pulls the gun out. I'm like, Oh god, they're gonna do it. Um, yep. <laughs> and and um and like that scene with uh, Doctor Manhattan, where like he raises his voice. I'm like, ne- when I think back to the graphic novel, I'm like, oh, gra- Doctor Manhattan wouldn't have raised his voice because mm-hmm. the whole point of that, and this is again showing that Zack Snyder, whoever the producers were, didn't understand that sequence because the whole point of that sequence is the fact that Doctor Manhattan is removed from his humanity. And if yeah. you remember back to that that panel in the graphic novel, Doctor Manhattan, I'm almost certain, does not have. It's not in all caps. It doesn't have an exclamation point. It's just stop. And the fact that Billy Crudup raises his voice, I'm like, you completely undercut the, the remainder of that scene because the whole thing the comedian says is, is like, you don't have any more humanity in you, Doc. You lost mm-hmm. that. And it's like, yes, he does. He's like, yes, he could have stopped it if he wanted to, though, but he raised his voice. He had an inflection they didn't have previously um, or he wasn't doing prior. And like that, that's what I mean. It's like there's things like that. Where, OK, you completely under, undercut the scene at that point. And that's the sort of stuff that bothers me. It's those small things where okay. it's, it's that one delivery. It changes the scene fundamentally. and Because that whole scene is supposed to show the fact that, that Dr. Manhattan is slowly losing his grasp on humanity. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it took me out of the movie. Um, more so than the murdering of a pregnant Vietnamese woman. That's um, funny. Most people would be taken out of the movie by the, the harshness and the brutality of such a scene. I'm taken out by the, the delivery of a, one word. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that should give you perspective on who you're dealing with here, folks. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, like I said, that's like I said, I, I think I'm scrutinizing this more mm-hmm. than it probably was ever designed. Because because another thing I was looking at this in the fil- in the uh, the reviews was that like this came out in 2009. This was being produced in a time when the D- the Dark Knight wasn't in theaters yet. Okay, Iron Man wasn't in theaters yet. I think it said Hack Snyder was in principal photography for this. In like like mid to late 2007, he wrapped February of 2008. Okay, so you think about that. That is before you have the renaissance of the comic book film. Yeah, yeah. This is this film's being made, and, and technically the script was written even prior to this. Is the same time period when Spider-Man Three 
was the big thing in comic book movies. <laughs> all these movies wanted to be the next Spider-Man 3. And that's the part of this I find fascinating, is that you have Watchmen, which is a graphic novel, which is a complete deconstruction of the superhero uh, mythology. Yep. yep. Made in a time before the MCU is a thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, think about it. you have at this, by this by the time this movie comes out, you have Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, Jeez. and you have the, and you have the Dark Knight, and and it's, and it's weird that we look not to get too far into comic book stuff, but like you look at two thousand eight was a seminal year in the comic book film. You have both Iron Man and the Dark Knight, and it's weird that you look at if you were to ask somebody in two thousand eight. What is the trajectory comic book movies are going to take for the next decade? Everybody would have pointed to the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. which is what they did, which, which is what they did in the short term. If you look between 2008 and 2012, most comic book movies took the Dark Knight route, whether it be The Amazing Spider-Man with Ar- uh, Andrew Garfield or Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. or things like Watchmen, The Spirit, all these things, everything took took a note from the dark knight yeah ironically it's the iron man that eventually would set the template for the next decade to this day we're still feeling the ramifications of iron man <laughs> yeah um and i think that's what's interesting is that we have a a, a a film that deconstructs the superhero mythology come out within a year of the birth of that yeah that's a good point that's a really interesting point um because you know that's that's like i said before i think that's a perspective that i'm not thinking of and and that is that is you know, it's it's crazy when you think about it that way. You know, is because I like remember when the Dark Knight came out, just hearing everybody talking about it, and and that absolutely seemed to be like the the thing that comic book movies needed. But you're absolutely right; it's like that's not what stuck throughout the years. You know, we have that Marvel uh, formula now, and it, it's it's just crazy. Like I said, uh, what was it, during the 18th episode when Rob compared me to Christopher Nolan, I said, <laughs> oh, crap, I'm responsible for ruining comic, comic book movies for how many years? <laughs> and now we have Iron Man that we can point to that now has ruined comic book movies for how many years? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Like I said, that's – I think that's – if, if – okay. And we'll like I, said, I don't want to get too far into examining this movie on a, a macro level, mm-hmm. which I think is the only way I can without crapping on it. <laughs> okay. Is, is that – that's the I think that's gonna be the legacy of Watch because nobody talks about this movie anymore. Yeah, that's that's very true. I am, uh, you know, I definitely have have had situations where I've pitched this movie as something that we should watch. You know, me and friends or whatever. And there's always um, kind of the the I don't know what that is or I haven't heard of it or I've heard of it but I've never seen it. Like there's a distance between this movie and a lot of people. Yeah, and I think uh, it, it's it's a multitude of factors. It never caught on the pop culture. Uh, I think the it had. Uh, Probably someone want- someone literally once said to me, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Someone literally said to me, "There's too much penis in this movie." Yeah. <laughs> so so the male nudity turned a lot of people off. I have no problem with it. I have no problem with nudity in general, but I've had that said to me. <laughs> There's too much penis in this movie. Oh, it's fun. Oh, God. I'm amazed we got this far. You know what? We actually, in all honesty, we might have a record in the podcasting community for Watchmen reviews, for going the longest <laughs> about talking about this movie, not bringing that up. Like, That's a good honesty, point. I'm we, sorry, might hold a, we, <laughs> we might have a record, 45 minutes, and we went this far without bringing that up. Yeah, because, okay. I remember going back, I guess part of the history of this movie, I remember back in 2009, spring 2009, this movie comes out, and I was in a, uh, I forget, I think it was gym class, and there was Mm -hmm. this one kid in the gym class, 
I kind of knew him in middle school, didn't know him much in high school. Didn't I I, I really dislike now I think I really disliked him. Pompous, pompous SOB, one of those guys that thought he was the life of the party, that uh that everybody else loved. This lo- oh god, they thought he was the great. He was in student government with me, and I absolutely disliked him. Well, I disliked everybody in student government, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> and but I remember that kid was like in the same like corridor of the, the gym locker room. And Watchmen came up as a movie. I can hear this kid just talking. All, all it was was blue penis. I've never seen so many blue okay. penises in my life. And that's all he kept saying was, I swear to God, there was some somebody had a clicker. And every time he said that word, he got 500 bucks. He, said, <laughs> he just kept saying it. I'm like, dude, if you have a problem with this, stop saying it. Um, and I can still remember... It was in a. It was in my psychology class in high school, which was yeah, psychology in name only. And people were talking about movies, and somebody brought up Watchmen. I think the teacher brought up Watchmen, and one of the kids says, "All that is 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 blue part of the male anatomy for 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 how long?" And I remember actually going up to the teacher afterwards and saying, "And see, this is the point that Rob forgets. Or I guess he never knew." Was I actually went up to the teacher and I said, "Please don't listen to these people about Watchmen." It's like the movie's a lot better than what they're making it out to be. And the teacher's like, yeah, I don't care what the kids say. <laughs> and he's like, yep, he's like, that is, uh, that is teacher mentality. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he's like, I don't get, he's like, between having two small kids, I don't get to go to the movies anyway. So if I ever do watch, it's going to be on DVD. Um, but yeah, like I said, that, Rob is right. That was something that really hijacked, like that hijacked the narrative. It really did. Before, like yeah. in a day and age now where we have things like The Last Jedi or, uh, Batman v Superman, like where things like really hijacked the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, this was one of those early examples, which is like that was just like all people talked about afterwards. Yeah, like that. Exactly. That was like that was the talking point. I'm like, tell me wrong. I, I'm not thrilled with this movie, but if that's all you take away from this, you're a moron. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, you're you're allowed to dislike Watchmen. You just can't dislike it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. The blue penis is a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, like I said, that's another really weird choice. Because he that's another thing with this film. Like, you're a studio. Like, I don't know why they gave him 120. Like I, said, I guess that's the cinematic of this. The fact that someone gave him $120 million to make this movie. Because mm-hmm. I, I could very... Like, like, in 2009, $120 million was a lot of money. Like, I know now that's yeah. kind of considered, like... Like, that's that's the economy budget for a blockbuster nowadays. $120 million. But back in 2009, that was that was a nice chunk of change. Yeah, and, and like someone must have said to him, "Be like, can't we have a scene in this where part of the whole like um, the 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 oh my lord, the character arc of Doctor Manhattan is that he loses his humanity, and over time goes on, he like." Like erases his, his ding dong, like not erases it as in like it's a physical scene in the movie where we see him like a giant like metaphysical eraser. But like <laughs> considering that like we see the point where he's having sex with uh, uh, Silk Spectre too, yeah. and all we see is Herb. Obviously, it's clearly him going down on her, and we see all the the the, the hands and the gripping he has, the thumb in her mouth, and all this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wouldn't that be a really clever thing to do? Where you take out the because if you put a blue ding dong in the movie, it's gonna take people out of the movie. It's just going to. It's going to yeah. take them out of the movie. Um, any sort of male frontal nudity is going to take people out of the movie, <laughs> especially one that's colored blue. And you think if Zack Snyder was half as clever as he likes to think he is, you think or a producer would have said, "Let's have that as part of the thing." Is that he doesn't have a, a, hmm. a part of that anatomy? And it makes sense. It actually works because we do see him performing a sexual act on her, and we don't see any any thrusting or anything that's part of penetration. Yeah. And I think that would work. And you take that, you take that 
a hurdle for a lot of people. And again, when you make a movie that costs $120 million, you're not making it for just the hardcore Watchmen fans. You're making it for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And you'd think they'd do something like that. Like, and then that's another folly of this film, I think, is that like you should be thinking like that's part of the thing, too, is with my problem with the checklist filmmaking is that it's with any sort of adaption. You have to change things. You cannot do a one to one reproduction. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A one to one adaption is essentially a reproduction. And, and nobody wants that at the end of the day. I know that's this, this is big thing now with any sort of fandom, and it's whether a book gets brought to a gets brought to the big screen or a video game. They're like, oh, why does Hollywood have to change it? Well, because certain things don't translate well. Mm-hmm. Like I think the countless uh, uh, video game movies have taught us doing a one to one does not work. Yep. Um, and I think that's one thing that bothers me too is the blue ding dong. And not, it doesn't bother me because I'm one of these uh, 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 children. And have a arrested development mindset. It's just <laughs> it's it's something that a producer can say. You know what? This is going to limit our commercial bill. Uh, our our commercial. It's going to limit the commercial nature of this film. Yeah. So we have to work in a way to take it out. Yet it makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it for sure. Like I said, I like to imagine that there's probably some there was some producers meeting in 2007 or eight with Hack Snyder. I'm sorry, 2007 with Hack Snyder, where it's like you know what. People will definitely not respond to a giant squid tentacle monster in Times Square, but they'll <laughs> definitely get that male ding dong. <laughs> or, or we'll make it so even good. more. We'll make it even more tasteful. They'll definitely won't swallow a giant squid monster in Times Square, but they'll swallow a male ding dong. That's blue. A blue yeah. male. Ding- <laughs> I mean though it's like something there needed to be again i I feel they were so so high on the aroma of doing a faithful adaptation they kind of missed the essence of what this is about yeah yeah i hear you i hear you it's there like don't be wrong it's there in the film but it's just under so many layers of things that just don't need to be there yep yep good yeah good point yeah so Go ahead, Rob. Hijack the conversation. Back away from me again. Oh, geez. No, no. See, Zach, you're making all these great points. And, you know, uh, like I, I mentioned before, I think that, you know, you're looking at this at a, a, a higher level than I was ever capable of. And you've, you know, you're making sense. You know, I, I think that, like I mentioned before, there's there's a clear difference between why I love this movie from why you dislike it. But I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, all these points uh, make sense. And, and you're absolutely right with a lot of them. Um I think the last thing we left off was the performances and on um, Billy Crudup's performance. Definitely, there is that level of stoicism to it. Um, but I don't know. It all it all kind of works for me. I guess I'm biased in kind of the worst type of way. You know, it's like uh, not that this is a guilty pleasure or anything, but even knowing the faults of this, I'm still very much you know on board with it, and I, I'm going to enjoy it. You know, probably for the rest of my life. Um, but but no, like I said, you're absolutely right. A lot of this is. Uh, the checklist, the movie, that's a really good way to, to, to put it and to think about it because I know of some other things that, you know, have done that and I felt uh, disheartened or I, I felt, you know, disappointed by movies because they've just kind of hit those boxes. So, so yeah. Would you say, though, that because of that structure um, or, or maybe the points you said, I know we talked about the blue penis and that gets to my question – but this is in the category of our failed blockbusters. Do you think that's a, a lot of the reasons why it didn't click with audiences? Because it was too uh, true to the source material to a fault? Uh, no. I, th- I think uh, mass audiences 
Or, um, okay. The reason, because again, I was thinking about this today and about why, again, a failed blockbuster. Yeah, that, was, that's what I'm interested in because, yeah, we could talk about I love it, you don't love it, but but it was supposed to be a blockbuster and it didn't achieve that. It didn't achieve anywhere close to it. Well, the fun thing about this movie, I mean, this was this was right kind of on the verge when I started really getting into box office performance stuff. This was just, this is kind of the the dawn of that. Mm-hmm. And I remember when this this is before I I really had an understanding of like how well things did. And when this came out in on that okay, where is it? I gotta find the opening weekend on Box Office Mojo. When this opened on March sixth, two thousand nine, okay, it opened with fifty five million dollars. Okay. That is a that is a even to this day an R-rated film opening to uh, uh let me rephrase that a 2 hour and 42 minute <laughs> long R-rated film opening to 55 million dollars opening weekend that is great like, okay. like even a decade later there would be films that would die for that the problem is is that the film pretty much cratered after that pretty much after okay. that point it ended up grossing $107 million domestic. So it, it made pretty much over half of its money its opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. That is that is horrible. Okay. Like I, I cannot overemphasize that in box office uh, understanding of that world. That is awful. Yeah, Usually, that's, that's no legs at all. <laughs> no, films typically have to make – in order for a film to have – uh, legs, as they're called, whether how long a film performs in theaters or how well it does, a decent leggy performance is three times its opening weekend. That's okay. decent. So, so if Watchmen got to like 160 million domestic, it would have been like, okay, leggy run. Mm-hmm. Fine. If it didn't make any money, at least it kind of it performed for what it was supposed to. And with that, what basically happened, I think, was um, you had hype. There was a lot of hype around this movie. Yeah, it was. It was the thing about it, it was really of, of this era. It was the first R-rated superhero film, and they did they they put Doctor Manhattan and Rorschach front and center in the marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And if in much like those trailers, I even went back and watched those trailers from two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and those are some great cut trailers. Uh, Zack Snyder makes films that are destined to be great trailers, whether it be Man of Steel <laughs> or um, I know Batman v Superman got into trouble with some of its trailers, but I think that was more on par with the studio. Um, sorry, more more to blame on the studio. Okay, and but no, he makes he makes films that are destined for great trailers, and I think it got, it got me hooked. Those trailers got me hooked. They did mm-hmm. something right, and I think the problem is that you got a lot of normies into the theater opening weekend. You got a lot of normies who had no idea what was what this movie was about or what okay. or what Watchmen was. It's like superhero movie R rated. Warshack, yeah. blue glowy guy, go see it. And I think, I think, it, I think it was a very early instance of the Guardians of the Galaxy phenomenon. I think it was. Oh. Here's a bunch of weird imagery with with a uh, uh, pop rock. And I think in one of the trailers, it's a uh, Smashing Pumpkins, and the other one, it's Muse. So you have that. You have really cool, like uh, weird but slick looking visuals. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said, "Okay, I'm on board." And I can never relate to this opinion 100% because I'll never be able to grasp it, but I cannot imagine never reading the graphic novel, having no idea what Watchmen yeah. is, and going to see this in a theater. Yeah, like, I, I would I would be so lost and disenfranchised by this film, and that's the problem with checklist filmmaking, is that when you are that loyal to the source material – you are going to disenfranchise people because they don't know what it is. It's like, mm-hmm. imagine walking into this movie, you have Guy 
gets thrown out a window. You have guy in Rorschach paint mask. You have all these things. You have I was a hero, goddamn it. Um, <laughs> it's like okay, what is going on here? And the problem is the movie never stops enough to let people get caught up or kind of get acclimated to what it's doing until it's already moved on to the next thing. Like, it, like I, it really, when it got really bad for me was on when Rorschach is sneaking into the Dr. Manhattan facility early on in the film. And he's giving his narration about like the whores and the politicians and the yeah. whores will scream up and say, save us. And we have him sneaking into the facility and it's like, and then I'll go confront the world's strongest man, tell him mm-hmm. someone plans to kill him. And then it's like, uh, he's talking Rorschach and it's like, and Sally Jupiter walks in and it's like, Rorschach, what are you doing here? You're a wide, you're a wide man. And you have all this stuff going on. It's like, Oh my God, what's happening? And then like, it's like Rorschach's going to tell me that someone's going to kill me. And it's like, goodbye Rorschach. It took a long while to get in here. Not going to go. I'm going to die trying to do the voice. <laughs> I'm not going to try. Um, it took a while to get in here. I'm not going to go so yeah. easily. And the scene's over already. It's like, oh my, it's like, oh my God, movie, slow down, slow down. Um, like, and that's the problem. I think, again, Rob is steeped in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm steeped in this world. Uh, imagine, like, the 20-year-old, like, boyfriend and girlfriend that goes see this because it just looks neat. Yeah. And they walk out. And guess what? At the end of this movie, they're not going to pick up on any of the nuances or the deconstruction of of, of comic books for the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. They're going to remember Blue Ding Dong. That's yep. the only thing they're going to remember. And that's the problem is that like if you are going to do a heady – like again, the graphic novel is so heady, yet the adaptation lost all that. Or at least didn't explain the nature of it that well. And I don't want this to be another example of I could do it better because I don't think I could do it much better because you, you'd lose – you'd piss somebody off. I might make it more understandable to your normies, but then you'd have the people saying you watered it down. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's the problem with watching because I hear a lot of people complaining about the Damon Lindelof series, and they're like, oh – uh, uh, I don't know however long he's going to make this. I have no idea. I think it's good. It's going to be at least 12 episodes. I think I've heard. Okay. And I guess for every chapter of the book, yeah. of the graphic novel. And it's like, people are like, Oh, it's good, uh, a 12 chapter series with at least 12 hour or at least uh, one hour long segments. is going to be a lot of watered down moments. I'm like, watered down. Who the hell are you kidding? It's <laughs> like, I, I don't know how you water this down by yeah. giving it more time. Uh, uh, it's like if, if, the, if there ever was a, a media project that was destined for having a Netflix style miniseries, mm-hmm. or I guess I guess HBO is the one who does miniseries for that type of format, it's this. Like, yeah. let, giving Watchmen twelve hours to breathe is so much better than three. Yep. Yeah, I agree. But but I guess getting back to the failed blockbusters thing, this is one thing I want to say on that is um. It, it 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 didn't. It, it's that it cratered, and the word of mouth was, I think, to, not toxic, mm-hmm. but it was just like this is a mess. Is from your normies. It was this is a mess. Stay away from it. Okay. And I think that's when that's why it, it is a failed blockbuster. I think it's it, looking at its second weekend, it dropped. Yeah, it had a it had a um, oh my god, seventy percent drop in its second weekend. Wow. Yeah, it went from fifty five to seventeen, and that's just ooh. That is yeah, a geez. It, it got beat out in its second weekend by Race to Witch Mountain starring The Rock. <laughs> I 
fucking forgot about that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie that exists, people. Race to Witch Mountain, the remake starring The Rock. Uh, like, like, even looking at it this way, Taken was in its seventh week of release. Oh, God. It made only $11 million less that weekend than Watchmen. Damn. Let that sink in, folks. The seventh week of Taken. <laughs> in, in Taken's eighth week, it made $4 million when Watchmen made seven. What that thing is again? Like again, it, it's no. <laughs> I think everybody knows at this point. Taken made a lot of money. That's why we're on <laughs> Taken. That's why there's been three Taken movies and pretty much fifteen different spiritual successors to Taken, starring Liam Neeson. Yep. But yeah, that's kind of the reason why this is a failed blockbuster, because it really, it 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 did not click. I okay. think I think the norm it didn't click for the normies, and I think for most of the hardcores it didn't click. Okay, right on. That's understandable. I think you know, like I mentioned before, where a lot of people that I talk about this movie with you know they don't really know it or know a lot about it there's that distance as i said and it's a bummer did watchmen deserve to die a dog's death no it's mm-hmm. it's it's a admirable failure that's how i think that's how i best describe it an admirable failure it okay. tried it swung for the fences and missed pretty much on every single account except for <laughs> except for rob Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, all the things that didn't work for everybody clicked perfectly with me. <laughs> now I'm glad, I'm glad there's at least one person that can appreciate this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I certainly approve of it, you know, it gives me a sense of enjoyment. Rob, is there any performances that are lackluster to you? Uh, no, uh, no I don't think so. I, I've always been kind of a little lukewarm on uh, the Adrian Veidt performance. Some of the uh, like his his monologues at the end are aren't as kind of powerful as I uh, I envisioned when I was reading the graphic novel, and of course they you know they had to change things for the theatrical version. But no, I, I don't know. There's something about this that I just I just love every minute of it. <laughs> this is like your bizarro uh, men, women, and children. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, definitely. <laughs> Where men, women, and children, I was just like. <laughs> Please make it stop. You know, this I'm like, I'm ready to watch it again after it finishes. Uh, uh, no, I, it's funny. Uh, you, you, you bring up the uh, Adrian Veidt performance. I know that was always one that people like to crap on. Obviously, the two highlights from this film were always uh, Jack Earl Haley and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, Patrick Wilson and Billy Crudup did fine. And a lot of people crapped on Matthew Good and Malin Ackerman. Like I said, Malin Ackerman's fine. Like, I think, I think in retrospect, uh, Patrick Wilson's performance is really, it is a, like, he's trying, but he's not doing a good job at trying. Mm, yeah, there are a few lines I can think of, like, when he's on, he's on the dinner date with uh, Malin Ackerman near the beginning, and there's some lines that just feel so terribly forced. Why'd we do it, Dan? Dress up like that. No one else would. Yeah, but do you remember my costume? All that tight latex, I mean, it was awful. Uh, yeah, yeah, awful. Yeah, like, there's, there's some things like that. Like, he seems, like, in retrospect, one of the ones where it's like, oh, God, Patrick Wilson. Like, I don't know, Patrick Wilson has this weird sort of fan base. I've never understood why. <laughs> like, like, people get excited when he gets announced for things. I'm like, why? He's like, he's like, I don't want to say subpar actor, but, like, he's just a guy. He's like, yeah. he's a guy who acts. Like, I don't get this, like, hyperbole for, like, oh, my God, Patrick. I remember when, um... He was announced for Prometheus. Everyone was like losing their minds. It's like, oh, Ridley Scott cast like Patrick Wilson in Prometheus in the Alien prequel. Then like he's in the movie for literally like three seconds. That's not even oh, a okay. joke. He's he's in the movie for three seconds. And everyone's like, why'd you waste Patrick Wilson? I'm like, how do you like what? 
Pesticos <laughs> isn't an actor that's he's not a fine bottle of wine. It's like it's like you don't you can very easily waste him. He's not great. Yeah. Adrian Vite, I always liked him. I always liked Matthew Goods, Adrian Vite. I remember mm-hmm. in the comics, I that that whole very end of the film with uh, the his plan. And I remember I can remember it very vividly. There's a point where he like he reveals or he finds out what happened and it all worked. And he's like he throws his arms up in the air. And I remember the caption bubble saying, "I did it!" Exclamation <laughs> mark. And I'm like. That doesn't make sense for the character. And again, who am I to tell Alan Moore what makes sense and what doesn't? Mm-hmm. But like the whole point of his little speech afterwards is to um it's like he he's doing this at Grace cost to himself. Yeah. Yet I don't see him ex- like th- literally throwing his arms up in the air and yelling, I did it. I don't sure. get I, I that's that's more Alan Moore. That's where I actually prefer the Hack Snyder version. Okay. I, I, I like his more stoic performance in the sense of like um and like I said, I think that's more on the actor than it is on what they were able to pull out of him, maybe what yeah. the script was telling him to do. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a better delivery. Is the more stoic, I'm doing this because I have to, mm-hmm. as to is I'm, I'm enjoying it. Okay, good point, good point. Yeah, I, I do think there's a disconnect there. Because I remember even like at the end of the graphic novel, like, that whole, at, even, like after they reveal the plan, like it, it gets really weird after that. Because don't Silk Spectre 2 and like Dan Dryberg have sex in... Um, Adrian Veidt's like Antarctica Palace. Isn't that what happened? Basically, like, like they yeah. find out the plan immediately, like after, like Rorschach is dead, um, and like, okay, quick to sex. It's like that's that's a yeah. Weird. There's that love connect. They bring that love connection back. Yeah, and, that, and that's a hundred percent Alan Moore. That is a that is a firmly entrenched Alan Moore idea. Mm-hmm. That I don't think anyone can get away with other than him. Because <laughs> I, I, can you imagine that happening in this movie? Imagine we get the sex scene not during the. Uh, the, when they're in the ship together in the clouds, they get it but right, right after. Right after Rorschach dies. <laughs> See, folks, that's your faithful adaptation right there. Oh, that'd be so funny that they just start fucking right on the snow. <laughs> they just go hard with it in the movie. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but uh, no, like, so there's a couple of scenes here and there I'd like to highlight. Like, uh, I remember even back, in, this is the one where I don't blame Sal for finding it funny. Okay. Even the first time it was hysterical was the the sex scene in the um, the owl ship. Oh, with Hallelujah playing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That is such a comical scene. Like that, like, only thing that's missing in that scene is a laugh track. Dude, I, I have to agree with you there. Like when uh, when Silk Spectre hits the uh, the the flamethrower button as they're orgasming together, like uh-huh. that's just, that is just schlock as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Holla- and the best part is the soundtrack actually stops for like a oh, split second. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god like that, That's embarrassing like, I don't know how the editor just wasn't like I, I can't put my name on this Like, like Zack Snyder <laughs> walks out of the room like quick I can fix it When he comes back from the bathroom it's Yeah like, I, uh, I hear you on that one Yeah, that's, that, that's embarrassing uh, What else was there you know, uh, something, something else that I don't like about this movie Or that has maybe not aged well um, But I also find myself disliking it In, in pretty much everything So it's not uh, just particular to this movie and i i know it is a uh, a zach snyder you know trademark but the slow motion the speed ramping i i really dislike that just in general like i hate watching things that move at different speeds 
Like, I, I don't know why. I really hate it. Like, all those people where, you know, the idiots on the internet will take a, a video of their dog and they'll slow it down. Like, it'll be part of it will be in slow-mo. And it's like, this is stupid. Just show me things as they happen. And so that is probably my biggest complaint with this movie is that it, it occurs. I, I really wish we didn't have that slow-mo. Like, I really like, you know, I don't want to see Rorschach slow-mo throw a hairspray can at somebody. I want to see the close-up shot of him lighting the matches. I want to see more fluidity. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that doesn't bother me, oddly enough. Okay. The, the, the trademark Zack Snyder stuff doesn't bother me in the slightest. It's like, okay, whatever. That's his own little flourish. If you've given him $120 million, you know what? <laughs> if that's what he wants to do at the end of the day, so be it. That that doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people have an axe to grind with him over that. But that one, it's like, yeah. It, it, oddly enough, that's something that doesn't bother me. Because I feel like if that's the biggest problem someone has with this, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? More over to them. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm trying to think. Because like some of the action sequences are just like over the top. Like I know there's a sequence. I know, even though I know it's in the uh, graphic novel, but even the the fight they have with the. Uh, not heads in the in the the back alley and it's, like, it's just over the oh, top like, sure she, she's breaking their arms he's like i don't know like doing all this stuff i'm like this is a little like over the top like again this is zach snyder doing his shtick but i feel like i wonder how much of that was because again think about the context of this movie mm-hmm. we are kind of source of context here <laughs> and you think about it this came out two years after 300 yep and what was the big thing from 300 uh high blood pressure well, yes, but we're only able to see that because of the slow motion. Yes, yes. And I think, I wonder how much of that is him making those decisions in Watchmen or how much of it is the studio saying, the kids love your slow motion stuff, Zach. Okay. Give them more slow motion. And I guess I wonder how much of that is just, because he doesn't, he don't think he does much of that in, what was it, Dawn of the, De- the, Dawn of the Dead remake? I, I don't think I've ever saw that one. But, oh, you've um, ever seen I'm, that? No, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, you know, like, uh, the the Batman v Superman and stuff and and I I, you know, I can only really remember it or think of the slow motion stuff at the very beginning with the the pearls around the gun that nonsense oh yeah oh yeah it's a lot of so that. yeah yeah that's a, that's a good point maybe there's uh, maybe he's moved away from it um and in this movie since it was the follow up to three hundred we got it more because of the executives yeah that I, I could see that for sure and I think and that's what it's funny Warner Brothers who uh, is the one who did this. Is always known for being like a director-friendly studio. Mm-hmm. You have all you, all you do is hear stories about them kind of sticking their fingers into things, being like, "Eh, okay." Eh. It's like, it's like <laughs> once you want to do this, and I think like any sort of studio again, three no one expected three hundred to make the movie, uh, make the money it made. Yeah, oh yeah, that was a that was a runaway hit. Like nobody, like that was one of those weird ones where I think that opened to seventy million in two thousand seven. I think it eventually grossed like 210 in the U.S., which was like, oh my god! It was like they, they couldn't believe that this ultra violent, just weird ass like mm-hmm. uh, a Spartan Greek movie. It's like <laughs> they're like, whatever. Like this guy clearly knows what he's like. This guy clearly has his finger on the pulse of something. Because I don't think anyone was getting mad at the fact that 300 is not loyal to the adaptation. I think that's another thing too. It's like it's funny how you pick and choose what we what we have to follow to a T. Yeah, like, nobody cares about 300. Yet Watchmen pretty much has to be a one-to-one copy. Then we'll have things like Marvel, where Marvel completely redo the Mandarin or Baron mm-hmm. Zemo. Yet 
Thanos has to be pretty much a one to one. It's it's so weird how what what who decides whoever it may be what yeah. has to be the exact copy. Again, like anybody who knows their Marvel comics, uh, the Mandarin is this uh, Chinese stereotype that has these glowing ringers, uh, glowing uh, rings on his fingers. And uh, Ben Kingsley ain't that in Iron Man three. <laughs> yep, and, yep. And then, and then Captain America: Civil War. You have uh, Daniel Bruhl as Baron Zemo, and Baron Zemo wears mm-hmm. a crown and a sock over his head. Yeah, it's like it's like okay. Yet yeah, Thanos is a purple grimace guy <laughs> with a gold glove. It's like okay, clearly somebody said this had to be accurate. The other one said it didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. I remember watching um, what was it, Winter Soldier or whatever it was, the one with Zemo. And at the end of the movie, it says, like, they basically, or near the end, they reveal that he's Baron Zemo. And I was like, what? I was like, where where did this come from? It blew me away. Yeah, I think, again, that's where you wish Marvel would be a little bit more brave. And, like, because, again, it's not the same character. It's the character in name only. Yeah, And you think Marvel would have been a little bit braver and would have been like, let's just call this guy, like, let's create a new villain. Yeah, yeah. It's like whole, let's just I think the whole movie I was just looking at Zemo going, Oh, it's that dude from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah, Daniel. I guess in and not the same thing away, it's a good performance. It's it's one of the very few times Marvel actually did a villain right. Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's it's a villain that doesn't just want to kill people for the sake of killing them or as some misplaced sense of vengeance. It's um it's a character that's like, Oh, they killed my family, so I'm gonna destroy them from within. And he's like, like again, his whole thing's like, Okay, once I do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow my brains out over the snow. And uh, Black Panther stops him. It's like, oh, yeah. that's like I said. Th- that movie has a lot of problems. And it's sad that that movie gets so much acclaim for all the wrong reasons. Is it? We're talking about Civil War, right? That's that one. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, the one okay. where again, you, you it's for the first time in Marvel actually has a realistic villain in like, mm-hmm. in that universe, and um, and yet the only thing people remember about that dumb movie is Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, giant, the, air, the uh, hang, airport hangar yeah. scene, right? Giant man, and that's it. Like that's the only and, and the uh, and the not even even the end fight between Captain America and Iron Man. People don't even talk about. It's just Spider Man and Giant Man. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two things we talk about that movie anymore. Other than that, it's just like oh, the fact that we have a villain out there that actually had a clever plan, and he again, it wasn't like oh, I want to kill the world. It's like, oh, this guy just wants, like, again, he, he he felt personally wrong by what the Avengers did to him. So instead of killing them, he's just going to destroy them from within. Mm-hmm. And then once he's done, he's going to kill himself. And the fact that Black Panther shows up and actually has a character arc in a movie where he's not, not the star. That's a weird thing, too, about that movie is that Black Panther is not the star of that movie. Yeah, he has the most defined, probably, character arc in any Marvel film. He goes from a character wanting vengeance for the death of his father to forgiving oh, yeah. his father's killer because okay. he realizes that the villain is consumed by vengeance and he's not going to let that same thing happen. Again, that's brilliant screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Like, even beyond comic book movies, that's brilliant. Yet, again, it's a movie that makes one point something billion dollars, yet all we take away from it is, oh, look, it's Spider-Man for the third time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Oh, God. Is that Avenger then? It's, it's funny. I was looking at my... Uh, Captain Marvel ticket that I bought. I'm like, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I really, it's, it's like, I don't want to. I don't want to, Mom. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to stay home and bake cookies with you today. <laughs> I mean, watch Watchmen the four hour cut. It's going to feel a lot shorter than Captain Marvel. But, Mommy, I don't want to go to school today. I want to stay home and bake cookies with you. <laughs> oh geez it's all right i won't be able to see it anyway brie larson won't let me into the theater <laughs> topic topical jokes folks topical jokes 
Oh my god. Yeah, Zach's so sex, Zach, sexist. <laughs> yes. Brie Larson won't let me see your movie. That's why I'm sexist. Any other talking points from Watchmen? Uh, no, I think I hit on a lot of the things I wanted to discuss. Uh, if there were any other scenes that you want to talk about, we should go for it. Um, oh, I, I guess, though, to bring up a point that maybe you mentioned earlier, um, I, I feel that the music fits rather well in this. And once it, it might be with my bias, of course, but there is a lot of it. I, I'll give you that. But, you know, um, I, think it, I think it does the job for, for what I'm looking at, you know, and I, I definitely think um, there's some that are more... Uh, striking than others, or you know, impactful. Like uh, I think the origin of Doctor Manhattan, where it's playing Fruit Igo and Prophecies, that that fits perfectly. Uh, that's a, it just seems like that song. You know, Philip Glass made it for that moment, and I really like those things. <laughs> One of the one that's more like Luster is the Sound of Silence, which I think I mentioned before. But but do you see? Uh, did you mention that you see that a disconnect between these things? It's not a disconnect. It's just it feels like um, eighth grade uh, project. It's, like, it's okay. like a bunch of kids doing stuff. It's like oh, funeral scene. Uh, my dad had me listen to this Gar uh, uh, Garfun. Oh my god, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. It's like let's play that here. Oh, okay, and then like like and there's other ones too. Um, Oh god! One of the ones that's really bad is a uh, ninety-nine Luft balloons. Oh, that shows oh, up. That I, I, shows I up like nowhere. that. I like. I kind of like that in this movie. I think I'm, I'm not arguing whether I, again. It just it it's just out of nowhere. It's okay. a needle drop. It's like um, oh god, what was the other movie recently that did this? That really kind of like it's not bad. It's just it comes out of nowhere. It's just in, it's the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Yeah, which, yeah. which in a weird way you can kind of everybody gives James uh, Gunn credit for that, but you know what? Good old Hack Snyder might be him to the punch, and no one might know, might not have noticed it. But no, yeah. uh, Ready Player One did this a lot. Okay. Where, um, like out of nowhere, like during the final battle, they have like a like uh, what's his name? I don't know his name. The main character has like a rousing speech to like like uh, get everybody to help him like storm mm -hmm. the castle, and then like they're, like they're waiting and nobody shows up. Then all of a sudden, like obviously the hordes start appearing to help him. And then like uh, Twisted Sisters, we're not gonna take it. Okay. Starts playing, and it's like, yeah, it fits, but it doesn't like it doesn't it fits in like the title of the song. It's like imagine if a computer program had to pick a song for what was going on. It's like, okay, I want a song for a big battle not, scene, something like no, that. No, but like uh, well, yeah, big battle scene, but like when it's um. Not retribution, but for coming back against the bad guys. It's like, oh, it's like, like we're not like a, 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 a David and Goliath, Goliath type, type battle song. Ah, it's like, gotcha. oh, a computer would look at like a list of songs and see we're not gonna take it and be like, okay, that's a song you pick. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're gonna pick a song for like a battle scene, like like in Ready Player One, or for um the comedian or the, the the funeral of the comedian, it's like oh my, it, it's it's low hanging fruit choice. Gotcha. It, 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 remember how we were talking during the Claws episode? We were trying to discuss um, what song <laughs> plays when um, what's his name? Uh, Virginia 
and uh, Nisi Nash's um, yeah. uh, disabled brother have like a like having sex, and you're trying to figure out what song would play. And we figured, oh, it has to be Def Leppard's "Pour Some Sugar on Me." Yeah, yeah, it's that. Like it's that level. It's that level of of picking a soundtrack. Okay, okay. There's no nuance to it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's a or, that's a good point. Or in the case of 99 Luft Balloons, it's the equivalent of playing Lady Marmalade over a five minute long <laughs> It's that level of thought process. Okay, I actually, okay. I would actually go as far as to say that chances are the same person that does the music for Claws might have worked on Watchmen. <laughs> Very real be, possibility, I would say. That, yeah, that would be an interesting connection for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I'm trying to think of other songs from the Watchmen soundtrack. They're really. Um, uh, the Philip Glass song I know, uh, the the ninety nine Luft Balloons, Hallelujah, which we mentioned. Yeah, that's uh, that's another bad one. That's uh, <laughs> it works, um, but it works in name only. Yeah, yeah. I I love the uh, the unforgettable at the at the first scene. You know the the death of the comedian scene. I love that. I think the way that yeah, that's that fine. Is great. Yeah. Yeah, I got no complaints with that. I just wish I could see half of what was going on in that sequence. Um, I like the the uh, the Hendrix version of All Along the Watchtower, which is plays when they go to Antarctica, Rorschach and Night Owl. Uh, but I, I've, I've loved that song before <laughs> this movie, so that's probably my bias showing through again. Again, it's not like, – that's the weird thing. Like, like, uh, these aren't bad songs. They're just misplaced. Like they're just – Sure. It's, it's like, oh, because I know that, that – yes, thank you for reminding me of that. It's like, oh, we see the whole thing, the revelation that uh, Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan have, and it's like, let's go home. And you have like the ship flying up Like as we see the watchtower On the Antarctica ice cliff mm-hmm. And it's like oh my god <laughs> It's like come on then like, And then like we have the opposite The end song the My Chemical Romance cover It's like Ugh It's like that's not as bad as some of the other ones though. But even still it's like It's almost as bad as J.J. Abrams Playing Sabotage as the climax song Oh yeah, every time actually that might, that actually might be the worst one because that's actually in that's actually in the like it's into the narrative of the movie. She might that's not as bad as Watchmen. Like if they if there was a okay. sequence in Watchmen where like like Dan Dryberg is like telling Silk Spectre we should play Hallelujah right now. Yeah, um, like if there was that, then it would be as bad as Star Trek Beyond. Nothing's yeah. as bad as that moment. You know what? That that's a really good point. Is and I didn't. I don't think I thought of that prior because you know everything you're saying about misplacing music. I understand and I feel that way about other movies. And I think I mentioned it on here before that you know I I there was there was an actual instance where I turned off Guardians of the Galaxy two. One of the times I watched it because they misused Mister Blue Sky by ELO so damn badly and. And I think that, Zach, you brought up the great point in that Watchmen, a lot of these songs, maybe only one of them, is diegetic, the unforgettable at the beginning. All the other stuff is soundtrack, where in the other movies where I have a problem with it, it is heard by the characters as well, like the sabotage, like the Mr. Blue Sky. And I think that's where I have more of a problem with the music, is when you misplace it and it's connected to the story. I've always said this before when it comes to pop music in movies – is that it's it's usually the first sign of the studio saying we don't know how to make this commercial. And okay. if you ever, I want all of our listeners to know that if you ever see a commercial for a movie and it's using a contemporary pop song, I'm trying to think of an example right now. Like I'm not talking about like a Dua Lipa swan song. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a tie-in. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like, let's say you see a commercial for um oh god, what's a movie that's coming out that is out right now? The Lego okay. movie. Uh 
Nah, it's do they do music. it? Yeah, they okay, do their own okay. music. I know there's okay. a Dylan Francis and like T Pain song that's tied to that. Okay. Um, no, I don't think that's fair. Uh, oh god, I'm thinking of a movie. Okay, I gotta look at Bucks. Oh god, what's, what's in theaters right now? I'm trying. There's nothing in theaters right now. It's a problem. I can't think of anything. Alita. <laughs> yeah, like I said, no. I only right. know that because I saw it. <laughs> okay, here's go. Uh, what men want. Mm. The spiritual successor to the Mel Gibson classic, which is also a cinemati, but that we'll probably never get to. Um, like so, you're or no, uh, even better, isn't it romantic with Rebel Wilson? Ah, okay, that's a perfect one. If you're watching a commercial for that, whether it be on like conventional terrestrial television or as a YouTube ad, and you hear, okay, what's it? Like, and you hear Ariana Grande. We're gonna keep mentioning Ariana. That's gonna be a new theme on this podcast. Every week, I'm gonna mention Ariana Grande. And you hear Ariana Grande's "Thank You Next" as she's like rejecting the guy in, in the thing. That is the first example of the studio knows this isn't gonna do well, and they're trying to drag you in based on other factors. Okay, if, that's the example. That's an example. If you're watching, if you're seeing some movie that just it's just generic movie number four hundred seventy three thousand six hundred twelve, and they're playing a contemporary pop song along with it. And by contemporary, I mean that's been released within the last six months. Yeah. That means the studio does not know knows it's tracking poorly, and there is a hail mary to get you into the theater. Okay, gotcha. That's interesting. That's interesting to know because yeah. I I feel like that's a phenomenon that you know anybody who sees trailers is familiar with, but maybe that idea isn't you know well defined in their heads. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Hail, it's a hail mary, folks. That means uh, like, that's why it's fun. Like being Mr. Movie Person it's like you know the signs of when mm-hmm. something isn't doing. You can read the tea leaves and be like, oh god, the studio has no faith in this. They're doing this. It's like <laughs> there's just signs. It's funny. Everybody has to tell. Um, but no, going back to like something like like um Watchmen. And like Guardians of the Galaxy, so it, it, it's very similar in that sense. We're just we're plugging music in that's not mm-hmm. appropriate, just because we know we can get a rise out of the audience. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I don't. I I have a very conflicted opinions on Guardians of the Galaxy. I like the second one infinitely more than the first one, but like, and this is a matter of preference. I know in the second movie, there's a sequence where um, Rocket Raccoon and oh god, what's his name? Oh my god, the guy that, with the gruff voice. Michael, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. Oh, Yondu. Yes. They escape yeah. from um, confinement. And out of nowhere, the song um, Come a Little Bit Closer plays by Jay and the Americans as Rocket and Yondu murder everybody throughout the entire yep. ship. And yep. it's such it, it's so weird. Like I do it wrong. I like I like that sequence because it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this really upbeat 60s like bandstand pop song. Combined yeah. with a, a rock, a raccoon, a talking raccoon, a talking little tree man, and a blue-skinned, red-finned guy with a, with a magical arrow that's just murdering everybody. All these weird creatures mm-hmm. in this thing. like that's that's a cool visual with a with a really weird soundtrack. But it's just I, for what these movies are supposed to be, it's completely out of left field. Yeah, gotcha. And I, but at least that I can appreciate because James Gum's like, oh, I'm going to do this to this. Like, I'm doing this because it's weird and people will go along because I have enough goodwill from the audience. Mm-hmm. They'll play into it. Um, I don't think I've ever told Rob this story. I was at uh, uh, like a thank you dinner once and I asked it. It was with a bunch of like old fuddy duddies. Like we're like okay. the newest okay. song they played was like Waterloo by ABBA. And I asked the DJ to play Come a Little Bit Closer by Jay and the Americans And it completely cleared out the dance hall Oh man The dance floor I mean Cleared it out To the point where the (laughs) DJ actually gave me dirty looks (laughs) Oh god One of my proudest moments One of my proudest moments We'll insert a clip of it here She belonged to Batman Jose And I knew Yes I knew 
the soundtrack thing, it's it's again, it's a matter of preference. I think you could mm-hmm. do a lot. I think if Rob and I sat down again, think about it. If Rob and I were being paid a six-figure salary to think of songs, him and I could do a better job at picking songs that fit. Like for the comedian deaths, the the comedian um, burial. Yeah. I think Rob and I could think of a better song than. Yeah, you're you're not wrong there. Yep. Yeah. And it's all right to recognize me. It's all right to recognize me. Oh, the other one, um, Night Owl and the Comedian are doing the riot control, and it's, um, you're a boogeyman. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, ha 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 ha, I'm your boogeyman, he's, he's a, a vigilante firing onto a crowd of protesters, isn't this a boogeyman of Americana? It's like, oh my god, movie, try harder, try, come on, I know, like, that's the, and that's the frustrating thing with this movie, is, like, I felt their intention was in the, like, their heart was in the right place, Mm-hmm. There's this weird sort of just like disconnect between reality okay. and what the correct thing is supposed to do. Okay. okay. Let's yeah, uh, let's just make all the songs pour some sugar on me by Def <laughs> No, Rob. The correct answer is let's make all the songs Lady Marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> Replace all the audio with Lady Marmalade. <laughs> about Washington. Oh, you know we okay, Rob. You know what? I think we might have actually we actually might hold a record for this. Um, we might have made it forty five minutes without talking about Blue Ding Dong. Okay, but this I know for a fact that anybody talking about this movie, it's the first thing they talk about, and we're actually not going to be touching upon it until an hour and forty minutes into the discussion. Damn, I don't even know what it could be. The intro sequence. Oh, the oh, times. The, the they times are they are changing. changing. Yeah, that's like the, that's like the one thing everybody and their brother has for this movie. Hmm. Okay. I don't have any problems with it. I uh, I think it's you know kind of goes with my thoughts on the uh, the matching the music with the visuals prior. I I enjoy it, and I like that it's kind of the backstory of the Minutemen more than the Watchmen. Yeah. No. I I like the the. I think that's probably if any if this movie's remembered for anything, it's probably gonna be that. If, okay. 
um, within the context of the actual film itself, not the, the narrative around it. If this film is ever remembered for one thing, it's going to be that that sequence because that seems to be something everybody and their brother latches onto. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well done. Like I said, that's that's one of the things that the slow motion works, the song works, um, it's visual storytelling, it's it's concise, it's gives that adaptation of the events of the gra- graphic novel in a lean, efficient way. Mm. Well done. If if only the the other <laughs> two hours and forty minutes of the film were like that. Sure, sure. Right on. Rob, I yeah. have a question to ask you. Oh, you have a qu- chicken butt? No, that's <laughs> guess what. Okay, what is it? Throw it at me. Were you a hero? Goddamn it! Uh, I was not the hero personally, but I. It's not my fault that you got old because I'm here providing food for your children, you and your child. <laughs> What's he I saying? I, I think I messed that up. She makes some comment, and he's like, "Oh, your your friend Eddie tried to rape you the first time, and then a couple of years later, he got low. Let him and let him finish the job. Yeah, let him finish the job. Yep. There's a couple of really good quotable lines in this. There's there's I was a hero. Goddamn it! Magic, dreams. That is what I had before. I was a hero. Goddamn it! It's not my fault you got old. What do you have to complain about? I'm putting food on the table for you and your child. Why don't you call your friend Eddie? Maybe he can give you a better life. Even the grimy parts of it keep on getting brighter. You know, your mom, she was one of the all-time champion beauties. You got her eyes, you know. You have that Take your hands off her. It's a whole long time, they'll say. Not long enough in my book, Eddie. Get in the car. Now. Are there no depths you won't sink to? Jesus Christ, Sally. And a guy I talked to his, you know, old friend's daughter. Drive. It was a mistake. One time. Guy tries to rape you, and years later you let him finish the job. What? Were you drunk or just lonely? Am I ever gonna live this down? There was Moloch. Moloch. Edgar William Jacoby, also known as Edgar William Bond, also known as Moloch. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, oh my god, there's a couple other really good ones I remember that we, we used to quote a lot back in the day. I like the um, the uh, comedian when he goes to Moloch and he's like crying. I like some of those quotes where he's like, I did bad things, I did bad things to women, I shot kids, but that was war, you know, and he's just like crying. I've always loved that scene. It's a joke. It's all a fucking joke. You know, I thought I knew how it was. I thought I knew how the world was. I done some bad things. I did bad things to women. I, I shot kids. No, you know. But that was fucking war. This. I never done anything like this. But I feel like there's a couple of lines that we had as like, like we were like ah. kind of like memes in our social circle. <laughs> Much like I was a hero, goddamn it. I know Moloch was another one. There was, oh my god. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I what else was? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, I know the comedian. I know like when um, at one point uh, Dan Drive or Night Owl was like, first of all, I think we shouldn't drink during meetings, and it cuts back to the comedian as he chuckles and takes a swig from his flask. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. That, that's a hysterical scene. That's hysterical. <laughs> I don't think they intended that scene to be as funny as it should be. That is a good one. 
you're not, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. I, oh, oh, I remembered it. I remembered it now. This is okay. the last one. Yeah. Janie. Oh God. Was it? Oh God. Um, Janie. Oh God. He's, he's, he's in the chamber. Doc, the, do, Dr. Osterman. He's like, oh. Janie, Janie, don't leave me. Don't, don't leave, leave me. me. Janie, don't leave me. Don't leave me! Yeah, <laughs> that yes. was, that was those were the three big ones. It was Janie. Don't I was, leave me. <laughs> it was that I was a hero. God damn it! And Moloch. Those were the Janie, three big ones. Janie, don't leave me. <laughs> that was a good right. one. That, that used to be a big one. Like, like you'd see somebody in the hallway and yell, "Janie, Janie, don't leave me! Don't leave me!" <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh man. Bob does it to people when he's driving to work. He's like opens his window and starts screaming at people at red lights. <laughs> Janie, don't leave me. <laughs> and then, like, once the light turns green, he rolls his window back up, and then he starts yelling through the window that again. <laughs> I completely forgot about I was a hero. God damn it. I forgot about that. And then as I'm watching, I remember, I, I, once I see, once I hear Rorschach talking, I'm like, okay, there's Moloch. Yeah. And then, and then the last one was in the, in the, uh, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the chamber. Janie, Janie, yeah. don't leave me. Don't leave me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. I like it. I like it. Oh, man, good old watching. So, Rob, are we going to start discussing Cinemati and or Late Night Movie? Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Um, I, uh, late Night Movie, I'm, I have to say yes. I think this is a definite. I've used it as a Late Night Movie before. I've shown this to people. I've watched it with people that also like it, um, and it's great. Man, Cinemati, I'm kind of torn because – you know, especially after this discussion, yes, this this film has problems, but I can look past those, and I love this film for what it is. I love the ultimate cut, but uh, I don't know if it if it checks the boxes, you know, for cinemodity. I, I I really am on the fence. What are your thoughts? Maybe that'll help me come to a decision because I I honestly do not know. I was thinking long hard about this. A late night movie, absolutely not. You will you will fall asleep during this. It is a oh firm. This is this is a Batman. <laughs> this is a Batman versus Superman hard no for late night movie. Is that is that where I did the asterisks and every asterisk led to another no? <laughs> yeah, for late night movie, pretty much. Um, okay. Cinemodity. Ah, I was really conflicted about this because. Like it's this is a weird movie, but it's only weird because of the source material. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing in this that's like bizarre, like of itself. Okay. Like there's there's nothing in this that's like oh like again Naomi Watts buying a military grade sniper rifle to shoot the chief of police. There's nothing in this that's like that bizarre. Yeah, that's I think that's where I'm at as well. You know, nothing really you know stands out. It's just like uh. I love it for non-oddity reasons. I, that's where I'm coming from. So yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the only thing I have to say, like the only thing I could, like again, like a cinemodity, yes, but kind of just like the bare minimum to get in. Mm-hmm. It, like, like a light yes would a be light yes. a light yes <laughs> would be like a low a low calorie yes <laughs> a low calorie yes indeed. Um, no trans fats, no uh, whatever it is. No sugars and, added. No sugars added. <laughs> Um, organic. <laughs> no, there's something organic about this film. But I think what it is, I've been trying to figure it out for the last day or so. And I'm still having a hard time articulating it. Is that there is the idea of giving a a really, you know, this is his third feature film, Hack Snyder. Mm-hmm. You're giving him 120 million dollars to make an unfilmable graphic novel that's going to be R-rated and have all these things, and yet it exists. Like in like. <laughs> 
I guess it gets a cinemodity status for me solely for that. The okay. fact that it is a $120 million R-rated film based on a graphic novel that's going to most likely disenfranchise most of the normies seeing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's why it gets in. For, for no other reason. Because I don't think there's okay. anything in this that's going to make you... And maybe maybe also we're desensitized to this. Like we, This is something that's kind of been ingrained in us now for a decade. Yeah. So we are kind of... Uh, it's We've normalized with it. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think with those things being said, um, I, I like the acceptance of it as a cinemodity for that kind of structural reason. But where I'm coming from, I think I agree with you the most on the fact that there isn't anything odd about it. And so I'm going to say no. I love it. It's a great movie. One of my favorites. But it's not a cinemodity to me. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like the first movie we've talked about in a while. Or actually, first thing we've talked about in cinemodities. Maybe I don't, maybe ever I want to say that like we both have like the same level of familiarity with it. That's a yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. That could be the case. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we've ever done something that we've both been like this kind of like okay. We like, usually it's one of us has had more experience with it. Than yeah, the other. yeah. I guess the the only other one that comes to mind would be uh, Total Recall. Yeah, where that, we had some history with it. Yeah, yeah. I guess that'd be the only other example because other than that, like I'm looking through like what we've done so far. And everything else is just kind of like one person's like emphasis, or or it's I, it's neither of us kind of coming like again something like claws, yeah, something like that where it's like oh okay we're we're kind of coming at this like it's a wholly new experience for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't think that's ever um, yeah, cool. That's, that's weird. We break in all the ground. <laughs> we never stop breaking ground on cinematics. Right on. So, is it time for snacks? Oh boy! I think uh, I think I, I did not. I'm not going to do this justice. I, I, what I mean is, I'm not going to do the, the snack items for this movie justice. I feel like I need an extra week to think about all the great snack ideas. But the one I want to pitch today for the Watchmen is human bean juice. Oh, and that's God. it. And that's it. I don't know. I don't know what human bean juice is. I know it's implied that it's blood, but I'm not saying we're going to give anybody a bowl of blood. I, I think that this is something that should just be on the menu with a title and a price. And it's like, if you're brave enough, you can order it. <laughs> you're going to get human bean juice. What do you think? I like that. I think, I think someone, they should have done a tie-in for this, much like, like Fant 4 Stick in the Grinch oh. with IHOP. There should have been an IHOP menu for Watchmen. Dude, that, yeah, that would have been interesting. Something, uh, what could you get? Like a banana colored blue to look like the blue penis? <laughs> <laughs> Put that Dr. on top Man- of two pancakes or something like that. Hey, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say Dr. Manhattan pancakes. <laughs> yeah, you could put the little symbol on it. Oh, man. It just writes itself, folks. I can hear the, uh, the cha-ching right now. <laughs> so, yeah, human bean juice. And what do you think is an appropriate price for human bean juice? What would be a good – I don't think we do that. I don't think we've ever done that. Another breaking new ground. Do we, have we talked about prices for things? <laughs> I think we I think we flirted with it. We we had to talk about price once or twice because we tried to figure out like what the cost of of doing something is. I guess like I think wasn't it like during the Grinch we were like doing roast beast and we're like, well, how much did it cost to import that? Yeah, okay, something like that. It might not have been the Grinch, but I know at one point we I don't think we've ever priced the menu at the Mm -hmm. Cinemati's restaurant, but I do know we keep. Well, I think we also have the attitude that it's almost kind of like a. Uh, a free-for-all. It's kind of like Mark Cuban just gives us a blank check to do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess, I guess then the question is, what would be a price for you, Zach? What price would you need to see on a menu next to the words human bean juice 
where you're like, I, I get that. You consider buying it, you know? What's that price point in your opinion? $13.99. $13.99? Okay, I was going to go like $7.99. I was going to go a little lower. Well, I expect a little bit more quality for my human being juice than that. Okay, you want you want the top tier human being juice. <laughs> well, I don't expect anything less than that. The Cinemodies restaurant. What do you think? What do you think about it's a you get a bowl of human bean juice, whatever this is. Like oh, it's like a bowl. A, it comes in a bowl, not a plate. So, so yeah, so this that's what I'm pitching. Where where you get a bowl of the human bean juice, and then you get a plate or a basket of the comedian pins. And so it's like tortilla chips and salsa, but it's pins and human bean juice, and you can dip it in and eat the pins. Okay. Um, obviously, my first question to this is, are the pins actually edible? Um, yeah, we'll cook them. <laughs> That's the only correct answer to that question. Um, They're not going to be raw pins. They'll be cooked pins. <laughs> how, can I, how can I argue with that? <laughs> oh god that's so funny <laughs> they're not gonna be raw pins <laughs> i'm glad rob's amusing himself at this point human bean juice <laughs> you know what we're gonna do i have another thing to add okay i have my own this is not a snack this is more of a amenity than a snack for the restaurant okay okay and it's an element of the film that we really didn't touch upon i'm a little surprised by much like what Adrian Veidt does to Wally and uh, Jenny, I think we should have aerosol cancer, and we put it like, <laughs> like, like, like. So what you do is like, if like once like someone's you know like at restaurants that like if somebody's like sitting at a table too long, it kind of screws over the wait staff because that's not like if they can't flip the table and get yeah. another person there, they lose out on another tip. Yep. So what we do is for our wait staff, for the wait, the Zach waiter, the Rob waiter. And uh, Nelson Delarosa and Alejandro Jodorowsky. <laughs> what we do is we have we have we have the cancer aerosol in the ventilation system that we turn on to get people out of the restaurant or table. <laughs> See, I like that. But when you first mentioned the the Vite thing, I thought you were going to have our waiters force feed people cyanide pills. <laughs> well, that's so that that's that would be really like the next leave. step. Yeah, that's, that's the they next really step. don't leave. If the cancer takes too long, then we, we just, you know, we, we, you know, jump on them and go, don't bite down. And we force feed them this pill. <laughs> it's got a poison capsule. Don't bite down, you son of a bitch. Who sent you? I want a name. Give me a name. Give me a name. Give me, Give a, me name. a name. Give me a name. God damn it. Don't That's- bite down. <laughs> That's another line from this movie you could just like rant. Like this movie has a lot of great like non sequitur lines you could yell at somebody. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> like like Ron remembers back in high school, like considering went to a high school with like eighteen thousand people. Um, like you you could be walking down a hallway, like minding your business or be in the middle of a conversation with someone, and someone would like lean over and be like just yell something at you. And I feel this could be <laughs> like this like this movie is chocked full of lines like that. Oh yeah, definitely. I think we could very easily just like like you could be somewhere. Like be like imagine being like like uh, walking down the street. And you're like you come across like a little bistro cafe. You could just like walk to someone like eating a salad, being like, "Give me a name, give me a name." <laughs> Don't bite down. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, could do that great. very easily, and just like you could freak somebody out, and like and you've not done anything wrong. You haven't cursed at them. You haven't said anything bad. You just freaked <laughs> them seriously out. Yeah, I like it. I dig it. That's what I strive for in most situations. <laughs> I think what we should do, much like in our tool episode, when we were looking for YouTube comments. I think we should go around to random YouTube videos and just leave comments of, I was a hero, goddammit. Don't leave me, Jenny. Don't leave me. Yo, that's what I'm thinking. Like, if I'm on the bus or something and someone's, like, sitting next to me and they, they get off at a stop, I'd be like, Jenny, don't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't leave me. And then you get up. But the best part is you got to do it just right. You got to do the delivery. You got to say that as they're getting up. And then as they're disembarking the bus, you got to lean it, press your face against the window and bang your hand against it. Don't leave me. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Got to oh, sell it man. just right. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's it for uh Discussion about Watchmen. I think we yeah. also. I think we also broke a record for a podcast not talking about the ending about the squid versus the uh, oh, yeah Doctor Manhattan ending. I think I think I don't think there's ever been a podcast about Watchmen that doesn't delve into that either. We're unique, fellas, or I guess audience members. They're not all fellas. <laughs> We're, We're unique. The, I went on the record for this for this recording. I went and listened to a bunch of podcasts about Watchmen, and half of them don't even talk about the movie. They just rant about random crap. Which I guess we're guilty of as well. Yeah. But one podcast, I actually got forty-five minutes into it, and they still hadn't talked about the movie yet. <laughs> I'm like, are they getting? Yeah. They, they, they'd flirt with it, but like they, like they're forty-five minutes in. They're like, let's do uh, FMK, uh, Sucker Punch, Watchmen, or Man of Steel. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, I, I'm like, I thought we were bad talking about like late like uh, the Cinemati's restaurant and all the horrible things we're doing at this fictitious restaurant. These guys are playing uh, F Mary Kill with movies. Okay, yeah, that that's surprising. Yeah, but, so we should do a, we should do a crossover with those people. I don't know. Well, I mean, if they can contribute to the restaurant for free, then sure, <laughs> <laughs> we can get some free labor from brain power. <laughs> Because everybody Our, should everybody should be aware the restaurant is real. The restaurant exists. This is where we work. <laughs> right? Right, Zach? Yes. The, the checks from Mark Cuban definitely clear. They're not forgeries that we printed off on our inkjet printers. Yes. They're going to air. They're going to finally air our Shark Tank segment later this season. <laughs> That's great. That'd be a great April Fool's Day episode of Shark Tank. We go there. Okay, Mark Cuban, we have this idea for a restaurant. <laughs> Imagine Chuck E. Cheese. But run more poorly than Planet Hollywood. <laughs> See, I would just start with the caviar fountain. That's the selling point. Glory hole. Glory yes. hole. Caviar glory hole, yes. A fountain, <laughs> means, a fountain means it comes from the ground. Ours comes from the wall. <laughs> oh, okay. I wonder if that space in, in uh, Times Square is still available in the former location of Mars 2112. <laughs> Do you think get a good deal on that? You think, you think, any, uh, of the, you think any of the props are still there? I don't know. Get a good deal. I haven't been there in a long time. I have no idea. The people like people like walk into Samadhi's restaurant. They're like, "Why?" We haven't talked about decor except for the Dune from Jodorowsky's Dune. Oh yeah. Why does it look like Mars in here? It's from the Total Recall episode. Don't mind it. (laughs) Yeah, it's Total Recall week. (laughs) (laughs) It's Total Recall week every week. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely, I love it. All righty, Rob. How are we going to end this episode? Well, this I definitely have an idea for. I think we should play Prut I Go in Prophecies, the Philip Glass song, backwards. Because I think it's going to sound damn near the same. <laughs> and I always love playing with that stuff. So, are you on board with that? I'm on board with that, but I'd like to add in some clips of I Was a Hero, Goddammit, okay. Moloch, oh, yes. Janie Don't Leave Me, and Don't Bite Down, Give Me a Name. Sure, sure. I can get, a, I can get behind that 100%. We, it, that's gonna be the new merman folks you're going to hear a lot of i don't i was a hero god damn it i didn't know he was a hero god damn it <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Um, How much do we have to pay Tara Strong to say all these things for us? Probably a lot. And I I definitely would want to pay her for more than just speaking on this podcast. Like, I would would want, like, a full-on in-person interview with Tara Strong. All right, who do we tweet to for that, Rogs? Is Tara Strong on Twitter? I... I don't know, uh, but probably. <laughs> I would love it if we got Tara, view, Tara Strong to do an interview with us and we ask her all these like involved, intricate questions on the merman. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to have like a, a legit conversation because I would just be losing my mind because she's one of the greatest voice actresses, actors, whatever they want to be called. Like I, I would just be like in awe, you know. <laughs> I would ask her exclusively questions about the merman. <laughs> that scene that scene is so dense between just the 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 voice the 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 inflections oh yeah the the, uh, the, the eye movement, movement. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah she has a stroke halfway through saying the line <laughs> i had no idea he was a mer- man <laughs> that's great go around like on hot like to like halloween parties and like just keep saying that people are like what is that guy supposed to be i don't know you have to do the face every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's gonna be my next Halloween costume. I'm gonna be Tara Strong from Sabrina Goes to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh what was the God. actual name of that movie? Oh, Sabrina Down Under, right? Sabrina Down Under. How could you forget that? I because literally it's still saved in my folder as Sabrina, <laughs> Sabrina Goes, Goes to, to Hell. hell. <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. Oh yeah, that's a crazy fucking movie. <laughs>